0: a seat. So this month, we have been a little bit focused on and praising the Lord. Uh, First of all, we're in the midst of, a little halfway through the midst of our uh, focus on worship. And so uh, we focus on one discipline every six months, and so we're a little over halfway through our focus on worship, and I've been feeling led to worship God in different ways that we've learned about, things like that. So it's really cool that we've been able to do that. And one of those acts of worship was to think how we've been blessed with a number of children in our midst and how they are the treasure and also uh, bring great impact to the kingdom. And so each Sunday we have focused ourselves on children that were in our midst that had not yet been dedicated to the Lord. When a child is dedicated to the Lord, it's the, the parent or well, parents, the extended family, and the congregation coming together to make a commitment to do everything within their power, everything that God gives you the stewardship over to raise that child with an opportunity to accept the Lord. Now, you can't make them accept the Lord. No one can make that decision for them, obviously, when they get old enough to understand and uh, they realize hey, they ha- that they have sin and they, and they understand that because of that sin that they'll be separated from God and so they want to follow the Lord, they want to accept that free gift of salvation and follow the Lord, then they must accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior themselves. And then they would be baptized and give the lip of the Lord like that. Okay. But in the meantime, and it can even be when they're old enough to understand, the parents may say, well, we really want to give the right leadership to this child, we really want to be serving this child in a way that they will have the best opportunity to come to know the Lord. And so we've had a couple of families stand before us, and today, Becca's going to come and bring AJ. So Becca, if you'd come. Okay, and then if we could have the extended family come and gather around her. And you should have a script that came to you with your bulletin. If you don't have one, get where you can see one. Oh, no,
1: I didn't grab one. Okay?
0: And so this is us collectively committing ourselves to help AJ in every way that we possibly can to have an opportunity to come to know the Lord, okay? And so uh, I will read the part that says Pastor Dan. That will come as no surprise, I'm sure. Becca will read the part that says parents. The extended family will read the part that says extended family, and then we all, the entire congregation, will read the part that says congregation. Okay? And so we begin where it says congregation. Uh, all right? God has entrusted you with a magnificent responsibility.
1: I lovingly accept this responsibility. We lovingly accept this responsibility as well. We will help, help
0: you. God has given you the gift of life.
1: I will protect and mature this gift. We will also, we will also protect, protect and mature this gift. Yeah. We will help you.
0: God expects you to teach a child through the example of a godly life.
1: I will strive to live lives consistent with God's okay. words before our child. We will, we will also strive, strive to live lives consistent with, God's, consistent with God's, God's word before him. We, we will try godly, godly examples before God child, child as well.
0: A child is like a clean slate. A child must learn right from wrong and how to hear the direction of God.
1: I dedicate myself to the teaching of the ways of Christ and the love of his church to my child. We will assist you. We will assist you as well.
0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have blessed us with this young man. He is a joy, a joy to be around, a joy to serve and teach and play with and and he's young in a clean slate. We know that there have been difficulties, Lord. Uh, there's much challenge, much burden, much effort must go in on Becca's part to be the parent, to be the that <laughs> and show AJ all the things that he needs to see that help him to open his eyes and to teach him and to help him to grow. And, and Lord, he's growing so fast, and he's learning so much, he's doing so much already. Father, we pray for this young mind, this young heart, that we would be good examples, that we would stand up and provide every asset, everything that's necessary in this lifetime. And yet we know we cannot do it, not in our own strength, that we cannot make him make any decision whatsoever. And so we pray, Lord, that you will lead him unto yourself. We pray a special comfort, a special strength, and a special wisdom for Becca. And then for her extended family, for her parents, and for her siblings. Lord, that you would do an amazing work in their day. And that you would do it in the age of his life. I would pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. And that God which gives us these great gifts deserves our worship, so you know what to do. Thank <laughs> you. So as you can well see upon the on the screen up there, we're going to be coming from Colossians chapter 3. Woo! Woo! Thank you. Somebody almost got caught off guard, but they jumped right in. I appreciate that. All right. Praise the Lord. So Colossians chapter 3, and it's just 23, 24, and 25 are the verses. And once in a while when you go to write a sermon, you look at the verses, and often at times it's when there are three verses. Uh, and you realize that basically the verses are the sermon. They say what they say, and there really isn't uh, you know, a lot of extra points to be writing. And, and that's where I thought this was going. I want you to know. As we read these verses, and you'll see why, that's where I thought this was going. And then at a quarter to five in the morning, this morning, with my sermon mostly in my head, the Lord woke me up. And I was laying in my bed, and I'm going, I don't have to get up for another hour. And I was trying to go back to sleep, and I tossed, and I turned this way and that, and I was praying, and I was talking to the Lord, and the Lord showed me that there is something a little bit further in each one of those original points. And so, it's been racing around in my head, I hope I will do it justice, okay, as we look at the text today. And so, if, if you would, if you've, hopefully you've gotten there, it's a Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible that I'm going to read from, and it comes from uh, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, This first one may not be entirely unknown to you. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so whatever you do literally means anything you do. It's not complicated it is anything that you do. And whatever you do, you're supposed to do it as if you're doing it for God rather than for people. Right? And so right away you can see, there's something I want you to see there. Right away you can see that there are certain things you cannot do for God. Okay. So whatever you do isn't literally anything at all. Because if you're going to do whatever you do and do it for God, there are certain things you cannot do for God. The things that God has expressly commanded us we are not to do or things that really disrespect God or disrespect people or disrespect God's creation, those kinds of things, you really can't do that for God, right? So when he says whatever you do, you have to realize there are certain things that are sort of ruled out of that. It's not literally whatever, it's whatever you do. And whatever you do should be then for God, and if it's going to be for God, it can't be literally anything, all right? There are some things it can't be, but he says, so whatever you do, do it, notice that word there, and we'll come back on it, heartily, do your work heartily, and we'll come back on that later, as for the Lord, rather than for men. So the audience, the people that we are going to the uh, impressing, if you will, seems to be it's supposed to be God rather than men. That's the way the kind of English reading seems to come across. But really what I want you to see there, what he means is as if it, the work and the person doing the work belongs to God, not belongs to men. Okay. You don't belong to your parents. You don't belong to your friends. You don't belong to your boss. One being in the universe owns all humans. That is God. Okay? Now, you can act like somebody else owns you, but the truth is God owns you whether you like it or not. God created all human beings from the beginning, and he has orchestrated everything just the way it is, and he owns it all. And so we're really talking about ownership. Okay? Verse 24 says, "Knowing." Now, that word knowing there is a special Greek word that means like to understand something, and it's written, and English doesn't convey this very well, it's written in a way to say that you know it now, and you will always know it, you're always actively knowing it. So this is like, if I say I ran to the store, that's past tense. If I say I'm running to the store in English, if I say I'm running to the store, it means that you you expect I'm doing it right now. But this word would be like as if you were running to the store for the rest of your life, constantly. So it's an ongoing. So you would always know it. You know it now. You'll always know it. And everything you're doing, you're knowing it while you're doing it. Follow? It's never going to stop. This knowing never stops. All right? And so he says, knowing that... From the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And so, this is talking about eternal life or the ultimate destination of those who've accepted the Lord. Now, first of all, you understand you have to know the Lord. So, one second step aside, the very basic gospel that the church at Colossae had received, this is the letter of Colossians written by Paul to the church at Colossae, that's what this is, the very basic gospel that they had received was essentially that all people had sinned, that there was no mediator between men and God. So everybody has sinned. Everybody does things that don't honor God. And so God sent his son Jesus Christ to be that mediator. The wages of those sin is death, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. This is the simple gospel that they received, that God had given salvation to all those who would accept it through Jesus. Jesus said, and we read about it in Luke 24, go and teach everyone that there is now the remission of sins available. Previously, no matter what you did, you couldn't get rid of your sins. You could get rid of the effects of your sin. The sacrifices in the temple were about getting rid of the uncleanness that comes because of your sin. You could go back and live your life. But there was no getting rid of the sin. They were looking forward to a time which God would make a way. And he did that through Jesus. Now this is the simple teaching that Colossae had had received. Paul believed that they were believing that. He was saying, well, you're believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, so now do everything that you do knowing, understanding, actively, it's always in your mind, realizing that you have an end destination, which is heaven. You're going to be saved. You're going to get to the end eventually, trusting in the Lord to get you to the end. That's hugely important because just as whatever doesn't contain anything that you do, right? it's whatever you can do in the name of the Lord, not just whatever, but whatever you can do for God, there are certain things you can't do with the thought of where you're going in your mind. Okay, so if you occupy your mind with sinful behaviors, you occupy your mind with lust or let's say pornography or you're, you know, hopped up on drugs so you can't think clearly. Any of those times, you lose sight of the fact of what you know to be true in Jesus of where you're going. And you don't know what heaven exactly is like or how all of it's going to be accomplished. We don't even get that in the Bible and that's okay But he says, always do everything that you do, knowing where you're going. That alone would be a reason to never be high. That alone would be a reason to never be so wrapped up in anything of the earth that it fully occupies your mind. Because here is the command to do everything that you do, knowing where you're going, if I can say it that way. okay. And so that could have been the second point of the sermon. (laughs) And it sounded really good at first. And it is true. He says, knowing that from the Lord, God will give from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, which you could say was purchased by Jesus. It is the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus, whom you serve. And so he's just clarifying there that we serve, we work for Jesus, who was the one who came and died. He is the ultimate servant. And now we serve him during this lifetime. One verse left. 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong, which he has done and that without partiality. And so that for is the because. And so why are we to do everything that we do heartily as if for the Lord rather than for men? Why are we to do everything we do knowing, remembering, always in conscious thought about the inheritance that we will be receiving? Because whoever does wrong... Whoever doesn't do what God would have them to do will receive, God has ordained it, and here it's written in his word, that you will receive the consequences of the wrong. Now, guess what? We don't get to determine what the consequences are. Oh, sometimes we'd like to determine what the consequences are when we see somebody else do wrong. I, w- I would like to say, I think that person should be shot or they should be killed or they should be put apart from, you know, put in jail for 50 years. Or we want to determine what the, wrong, what the consequences of the wrong are, but we don't get to do that. That's not your job. In fact, it's not really even your job to look at the wrong and go, that person's wrong and so they deserve judgment. That's not your job either. You're, to recognize right from wrong, that is our job. But our primary concern is not what they have done, right? This is not a command about worrying about what somebody else did or thinking about somebody else and how bad a person they are because they said or did something. This is not a command about that. By the way, when you're doing that, would that be something you could do for God? If we're supposed to do all things that we do as if we were doing them for God, whatever you do, do as if you could do it. So for God, could you step in and determine whether somebody is guilty or not? Could you step in and discern what their punishment should be or not? You can't do it. You can't do that for God. So at the point at which you start doing that, judging people, essentially condemning them for what they've done, determining what their punishment should be, you're not doing that for God. You're doing it to placate your own conscience. You're doing it to feel better about the circumstance. You're doing it to ease your anger or whatever. This is one of the reasons why it says judge not least you be judged. And that's not part of the sermon, but understand one of the reasons why it said that because while you're judging, you're not doing for God what you're supposed to be doing. You're taking his place instead. God's not good enough to judge, so I'm going to have to do it. So you can't do that. So he says in 25, because he who does wrong, whatever wrong you do, you will receive the consequences of the wrong, whatever the consequences of that wrong are. Some of those things we kind of know. Liars aren't trusted. Thieves aren't trusted with valuables. Children molesters should never be left alone with children ever again. Right? And some consequences can be much worse than that. Some of those things, we kind of see how God unfolds them. Some we don't. And so whatever it is, the consequences will happen. God has determined it to be so. Now, ultimately, if the, the wrong is not accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we already know, based on what we read previously in the previous verse, they will not get the inheritance. That is the ultimate punishment. Okay? So whether they get the punishment you think they deserve in this lifetime or not, if they don't accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they will get the ultimate punishment. All right? Okay, just making sure we're finished with 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong, which he has done. No, don't miss that phrase. And that without partiality. That means that God does not deliver these consequences differently to a person based on their standing in life. Whether they're wealthy, whether they're smart, whether they're beautiful. Now the reality is in American society, and capitalism, wealth and beauty and prominence, that'll get you a lot get you a long way. But in the kingdom of God, they will not affect one iota and one little bit what God has ordained, which is that you will get the consequences. So if being rich becomes a thing for you and you are rich, you better make sure that you all the more double your efforts to put that under the supervision of the Lord, right? Or if, uh, if you are beautiful and we have some attractive people in the room, if you're a beautiful person, better make sure that you put your attractiveness to work for God, otherwise you're in trouble. Right? anything that you don't do for the Lord will receive its proper consequence. Okay, so you can kind of see right on the surface the three points that these verses talk about. The first one is, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And so it's sort of a little bit of a two-parter. But there was a word in there that bugged me a little. Do you see it? What word in there bugs you a little bit? How about heartily? First of all, what does heartily mean? In English. To do it heartily, somebody tell me, what does it mean? Speak up. With all your might or all with all you are, what was you gonna say? Okay. So we what does enthusiastically mean? from the soul. okay. All right. Now you you're getting close when you say from the soul, right? In the original language, the word actually there, there's two words, and one is left out completely because it's commonly left out. It's not not a bad thing. It's a Greek word that doesn't have to be included. To, it's, it's ek. It's a little word, ek. Okay? And it means out of. And the word that's translated here heartily is actually the word soul. And so to very literally translate this passage, to completely literally translate this passage, would be to do everything that you do. Let me read it like it would be, whatever you do, do your work out of your soul. And that's interesting to me. Because it says something more than to do it enthusiastically or to do it hard, put your effort into it, right? So real quick, we're going to have a little object lesson. So I need two volunteers. Tommy and Autumn, first hands I saw. Okay, now, i fair warn you, this is sort of a role-playing thing. So we've got two role-players here, so that worked out for <coughs> me, Okay, so in a moment, each of you are going to make a paper airplane out of the piece of paper that I've handed you. Okay, but who wants the harder job? Who's willing to take the really hard role playing? Okay, Tommy. Thank you for volunteering, Tommy. I appreciate that. Um, Jump right in there. Okay, so when we begin, you're both going to make a paper airplane. I would like you to make your paper airplane as if you were making this paper airplane for God. Okay? So this is going to be God's paper airplane. The work that you're doing is God's work. You belong to God. I want you to do it in a way that is for God. Okay? Tommy, when you make your paper airplane, I want you to make your paper airplane with a question. As if you're doubting or wondering how to make a paper airplane or what it's supposed to be like. Okay? You ready? No pressure here, right? Set, go. (laughs) <laughs> it's not a race. You're okay. You've got plenty of time. Everybody's being patient.
1: You're very, very disproportionate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> very neat. I of is still still <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I went to an aviation school. Yeah, Tommy went to an
0: aviation school. Yeah. That's the irony. And Autumn went to Sunday school, so. <laughs> this is perfect. Okay. Autumn has created an airplane. Very neat, okay. precise. Disproportionate. That's an interesting airplane, it's Tommy. roll a lot? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, it flew. And it flew. Okay. I'm going to give both airplanes for a minute. All right, then you guys can have a seat. thank you very much. I may ask you questions, just so you're aware, all right? So we have two paper airplanes, and basically what Autumn did is tr- made a very clean, neat presentation. Was that what you were trying to do? Trying to make it neat? That's just how you normally do it, okay? So she was doing it the way she normally does it, all right? And then Tommy's paper airplane has basically fallen apart already, okay? But he, what he did is he tried to make, like, basically something that was disproportionate, doesn't quite look like a paper airplane, I saw you refolded a couple of times, like you were wondering exactly where the parts were supposed to go, is that what you are trying to do? Okay, so I think we get the idea of having questions, having doubts. Modern, I mean, that's such a human condition, isn't it? Like our, our human condition is kind of like, what's going to happen? Almost like wondering what the outcome will be. You you play basketball, you put the shot up, and you may do it the same way every single time and one time it goes in the hoop, one time it doesn't. You know, you run with all your might and one time your fifty yard dash is, you know, five seconds and the next time it's five point two. Nobody knows why. I don't know why. You don't know why. You're like, well I ate all the same foods, I did everything the same. You know, so we we kinda get that feeling of not knowing. When I was not a Christian before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, and I didn't realize this until this morning as I was praying, the Lord really brought it back to me in a powerful way. My soul was like a giant beast consuming everything. And I wasn't into pop culture, but the only reason I wasn't into pop culture, like into music, I listened to music, but the only reason I really wasn't into music heavily was because I had already found out it was empty. Like this guy's singing about the most important things in life, like love and and success, and, and being strong. And, and I really hadn't ever listened to any Christian music, except maybe like um, my mom used to sing a song about a wedding chapel or something. You know, but it, basically, they, you know, I'd heard Amazing Grace, that was about it. So I didn't really listen to any Christian music, but the songs I was listening to, I found out that the messages, like what they told you about, there really was no answers. So I wasn't into that. I wasn't into like worshiping sports idols or thinking, man, he's a great quarterback. And I wasn't into any of that because I realized there was no answers there. I was yearning for it. I was searching for it. I would do all kinds of things. Don't get me wrong. I did all kinds of things to try it, try it on for size. You know? But I never found anything. So everything I was after, I would taste it, feel it, experience it. And go, oh, that was not much. That really you know, left me kind of empty. I really didn't, really didn't get much out of that. And so now I realize that one of the big problems that I had before I got saved was that there was always a nagging question. I submit to you that oftentimes for a lot of people, there's just one question but they just don't know exactly what that question is. And so that one question takes on a lot of different shapes as they try on this or try on that. Is, is this the answer to the one? I don't know the question, but I really need the answer. So is this the answer to the one question? Is this nagging, doubt, or feeling of questioning? And I submit to you that that comes from the soul. Now, this is not going to be a, a lesson on the soul, but I want you to understand that obviously we, we accept, the Bible teaches, and we accept that, that people have a soul. Okay. And that the soul was created inside a human being probably at the moment at which in the Garden of Eden, God breathed life into Adam. And it says he, God breathed his very spirit into Adam. And so if we have a soul that was breathed into us by God, then we can kind of say that that soul naturally yearns for God, right? It makes sense that that soul wants to be back in touch with the God that it started with. That just makes sense. And so I submit to you that the yearning, the aching, the eating, the devouring, the questioning, the, the sucking that our soul does has, when we're not saved has something to do with that yearning of being near to God. That just makes logical sense to me. But now we see in this text that the works that we do, they are to come out of our soul. Well, I, nothing ever came out of my soul before I could say it. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. Lots of things went in, but nothing ever came out. Nothing. I, I now know this as an absolute fact. I never created anything that I felt like was an expression of who I was more than the moment. Does that make sense? Like it was going to last a while. I did art in school. I remember when I was a sophomore in school, we drew a corn stalk. It, was, it didn't have corn on it, but it had to be it. we drew every little vein, every little vein. And I put in like about 20 hours on this corn stalk. And at that point, I was about halfway done. And then it occurred to me, halfway done, 20 hours into this project, it occurred to me that there was a very little likelihood the teacher was ever going to get out a magnifying glass and check and see if I had actually drawn every vein on the corn stalk. And so I started faking it, because 20 hours halfway done, I didn't want to do 20 more hours to get done. You know what I'm saying? And so I started faking it. And I got done in about three more hours. And it looked like a corn stalker, it looked good. And then it won a prize in the art show. And I'm going, hey, this is great, I won a prize in the art show. And I took it home, and you know, every time I would look at that corn stalk, I knew in my soul that that wasn't the corn stalk that I was drawing. It was half the cornstalk that I was drawing, and I was doing a pretty good job. Not great, but a pretty good job. And half something I just made up. That's what my life became like when I didn't know Jesus Christ. That's what my life was like. I took things in, and by the time they came back out of me, they'd been chewed up pretty bad. They weren't really what they were supposed to be. But now, we're commanded, we're given the directive to, out of our soul, do everything that we do. You understand, this is free license by the God of the universe for you to transform everything you ever touch, everything you ever hear. should be changed, should be affected, should be different. It comes in, and once it encounters the being inside you, the energy that God has placed there, the soul that God has renewed and regenerated by the love of His Son, Jesus Christ, nothing should come back out of you the same, but wait for it. Everything should come back out of you better. Now this is the problem with things like gossip and slandering, lying. You encounter the truth, it comes back out of you, now it's not true. You encounter someone talking about something, comes back out of you, and you're talking about it not with a godly, loving purpose. You're not about, well, we can pray or we can make a difference or we can jump in or we can help. This is not about service, It's not about kindness, it's just about me feeling good about me while I tell somebody else what I know about somebody else the problem with all the things that we output. It really becomes the problem, if if you will, with all the works that we do that do not do come out of the soul that we now have in us, which is regenerated in Christ. You can say, I don't know, I struggle with my sin. Is that what you're talking about? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Sin predominantly occurs in the mind. You're making choices. There is spiritual warfare where you go, I should do this, and this is not what God wants you to do. And you go, you know, yeah, I agree with myself. I should do that. And you go and do it. When in reality, the thought that came into your head that was I should do this wasn't you at all. It wasn't God. It wasn't your soul. It was an evil spirit or a TV program or a magazine article that you read or something. And you thought, well, just got an idea. This might be a good idea. And you went and did it. And then afterwards, you go, oh, that wasn't good at all. It didn't work out good. The consequences were bad. Or or I hurt somebody. And you know, then I say, I'm sorry. Now they forgave me. And so everything's over. Except it's not, is it? Because something happened there. You encountered the world at a a crux, at a point at which you should have changed it for the better, and instead of changing it for the better, you changed it for the worse. Because your mind intercepted before your soul could transform the good thing into something good. When you were born again, you got a new soul, essentially. Your soul was washed clean. So your soul's never going to do anything wrong now. That's what the Bible talks about, continuing unto salvation. The inheritance is settled. We know where we're going because once you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your soul was regenerated. It become new. Now when you let your soul out of its box, out of its cage, out of its trap, everything that it's touching will be affected in a positive way. And what comes out of your mouth will be changed. And what you do with your hands will be changed. And when you affect somebody else, you will affect them in a positive way if you let it come out of your soul, because your soul has been cleansed and regenerated. But when it comes out of your mouth, or out of your or your flesh, or when it comes out of somebody else's ideas, or when it comes out of evil spirits' thoughts, when it comes out of just your head and the confusion that is there, because I'm be playing. I don't think any of us got it all together. Okay, when it comes out of that. It's not going to have the effect that the soul can have that's been regenerated by God. When the Bible talks about sanctification, progressive sanctification, big words, right? Words that a lot of people don't understand. Progressive means it's, it's still going on, it's still happening, it's still getting bigger, still getting better. And sanctification means holiness, being holy, being like God. And so throughout your life, you're getting more and more like God. What you're supposed to be doing is letting your regenerated soul take over your life more and more. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So then you're impacted and affected to make changes. And by the way, what do you think the closest thing in the universe to your soul is? It's in here. It's your body. It's your flesh. It's your, your mind. You are the closest thing to your soul. So if you have a regenerated soul, the thing that should be first affected is you. And now I hear Michael Jackson singing, I'm going to make a change. Start with a man in the mirror. Right? The point is, Your soul, if it's regenerated in Christ, and you begin to do things out of your soul. It's going to affect you first. And by the way, that's really all you can control. But then as you are given opportunity to affect other things, someone comes and says to you, what do you think about this problem I'm going through? You're not supposed to pull out your philosophy training. You're not supposed to search around in your mind for some quaint piece of advice that will get them away from you as fast as possible. You're not supposed to give them 10 steps to good health. Or suggest a book that they can read. You're supposed to allow that question to touch your regenerated soul. And then out of your regenerated soul, you deliver some kind of a truth that can actually make a difference. Some kind of a thing. It's not a trite saying, like, hey, I'll pray for you. You know? Hey, I, th- I hope things get better. No, it's your soul bared to the light of that situation. And if you say you pray for them, then you better be on your knees, there better be sweat. If there's no sweat, you lied. You certainly didn't go to your soul, and your soul said, I will pray for them. And then your soul said, with great enthusiasm, or heartily, with all your being, I promise to pray for them, so I'm going to put it on my list, and if I happen to read the list later this week, maybe I'll pray for them for a couple minutes. That's not what your soul does. Your soul doesn't say, maybe I'll get around to it. Have you ever wanted something? I mean, really wanted something? Really? Deep down inside yourself, you knew like your loved one was there. And, 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 you know, like I've got to do this for them or I've got to bring them out of the situation or man, I've got to pay my rent or whatever. And you had that motivation. That was all, most of it was probably in your flesh, in your mind. you were like, I really, need, I, I've decided I really need to do this. And you say, I've decided I really need to do this. Did you just then go sit back and do nothing for a while? When you made that intellectual decision to do something, did you just sit back and do nothing for a while? Even your mind doesn't do nothing when it's convinced to do something. And that's just because your mind is being influenced a little bit by your soul. But your soul never, ever makes a promise and doesn't keep it. Not if you're regenerated in Christ. Your soul never, ever falls asleep at the wheel. Not if you're regenerated in Christ. No, when you allow it to touch your soul that somebody needs financial help or a job or health or whatever, your soul says, and this week I, I had a bunch of people reaching out to our family and praise God for it and and I had some people say, you know, we're praying for you, and praise God for that because we need all the prayers we can get, because difficult all situations that we're going through and so on. But I had several people who messaged me and said, We're praying for you. And then they said, What can I do? Not is there anything I can do, but what can I do? And they were and I'm like, I, I don't know. And they said, Well, what if we do this? We have to do something. That's your soul. Your soul doesn't say, I want to do something. Hey, let me know if I can do something. Your soul says, I want to do something. You couldn't stop me if you wanted to. I have to do something. Because it's my soul. And my soul is on the line to do this thing. My soul is geared up to do it and nothing will stop it. Not my mind, which says, well, no, I'm not feeling well. Or, no, well, no, I've got my own problems. Or, well, no, I, you know, if I spend this money, where will it come from? Or, well, no, your, your mind comes up with all kinds of reasons. But your soul, once your soul says it's going to do something, and if it's in the Lord, it does it. Period.
1: Amen.
0: No excuses, no stepping back from the line. It's on the other side, right? It's not ready, height, go. Your soul has transgressed the line. Why? Because it's no longer guilty of sin because it's cleansed in Christ. So if I screw up, Brother said to me, I made the decision to let that happen. And I don't know if you'd be upset with me, but you weren't here. I thought it was the right thing, so I did it. But that, that's your soul. Your soul's not, you know, there's an old saying says, um, do, do what you want to do and apologize for it later rather than getting permission first. That's the attitude of your soul. But your soul, if regenerated by the Lord, is in line with the Lord. And so your soul doesn't do that to God. It might do that to other people, to social mores, to your own feelings or weaknesses. You know what I mean? You ever get down on the floor and try to tie somebody's shoe that they didn't want you to tie it? Right. This is your soul getting down on the floor trying to tie somebody's shoe and they didn't want to tie it. You would still be chasing them. You understand? They would be running away with their shoe untied, trying to find time that they could tie it to get you away from them, and you'd still be going, no, come on, come on, come on. Your knees would be sore. Because when your soul decides to do something, your soul does it. That's what a regenerated soul, now not an unregenerated soul, an unregenerated soul tries it on for size, finds out it isn't full of anything, finds it, isn't, that an un- unregenerated soul would go, I think I'll tie your shoe, get down on the floor, and say, no, it's okay, I got it. And would be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, don't want anybody to think I'm creepy. You know, your, your regenerated soul says, I need to give him or her a hug. Your unregenerated soul says, "Well, I wonder if I gave them a hug if they would think that was weird. It's different. And now the Scripture is calling us to do everything that we do. Read it again that way and hear the... It's, it's poetry, but it's powerful truth. He says, whatever you do, Do your work, whatever that is. Remember, that's got to be stuff that's in line with the Lord. As for the Lord, do it as if you are owned by the Lord, as if your work is owned by the Lord, as if it is being done by the Lord, rather than for men. And that word heartily. Out of your soul. There's so many people in the world that don't even realize they have a soul. That's why nobody knows their neighbors anymore. That's why nobody's stepping out. Kindness. That's why a guy steps in a room with a gun and everybody ducks and hides and nobody tries to take him out. I pray that my soul is alive. i following Jesus Christ. And whatever my mind may be screwed up, whatever my body may be screwed up, I pray that my soul is in line with the will of the Lord. And when something needs to be done, the soul does it. We talk about serving in the church. You're not going to be asked to serve. If your soul is regenerated, you're a servant. You just serve. And if they won't let you do anything, you just come and sit on the steps of the porch of of the building and pray. Or better yet, go sit on the actual porches of the church and pray. What are you doing on my porch? I'm praying for you. Why? Because my soul told me to. And you didn't want to hear from me. Well, you're loitering. Call the cops. Cops come. What are you doing sitting here? I'm sitting on the porch praying. Why? This is their house. you got to go. Okay, I'll go, but I'm going to stop praying. You go stand on the sidewalk and pray. Your soul doesn't take no for an answer. Do your work as if you do it out of your soul for the Lord your God, and it will transform and change the entire universe, starting right inside your own self and extending to anyone and everything that God puts under your stewardship. That's point one. Do it out of your soul The second one then initially was just simply knowing uh, that from the Lord you will receive, knowing basically what it is that you will receive and the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that was going to be the point until this morning the Lord got me thinking a little bit further, a little bit deeper. And so I was thinking about how easy it is to get off course even while you are serving the Lord. Even while it is about serving the Lord Jesus is the one whom you serve, how easy it is to get off. Turn in your Bibles, if you're following along in your Bible, turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2. Now this is a passage of Scripture, and it's a, it's a little long. I won't break everything down as we go through, so if you have questions or struggle with any of the words or anything like that, you're welcome to touch base with me later or... Or go home and use your Bible dictionary or spend some time letting the Lord explain it to you because I won't be able to do all of that today. But I want to read from 2 Peter chapter 2 and this is what it says. It's talking about false prophets and it says false prophets, that's people that speak for God. False prophets also rose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So we're talking about some folks who will come into the church and they will start talking about some kind of a teaching that is not godly. They're not doing it for the Lord. They're false teachers. It says, and many will follow their sensuality. Remember, sensuality is basically being after your flesh or, or wanting what your body wants, wanting what your body and your mind want. And it says, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. So will be talked bad about. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That's going on all over the world today. People in the church who say they're talking on behalf of God, but actually they're teaching things that are what people want to hear. And then they say, you know, sow a seed, give me 500 bucks, and all your good stuff will happen for you, and things like that. It's all a bunch of hooey. And this is what he says, And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So they're getting away with it right now, or so it would appear, but the truth is they're not getting away with it. They're getting the consequences for for it that goes back to what we already read, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God, because if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, and then in parentheses it says, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to sort people right now, is what he's saying. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. So in other words, especially those who go after what they want in their body and their mind, and they don't respect the authority of God and the authorities that God has put in place. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. So in other words, people, these are people that they'll, they'll talk bad about the way faith goes, the way God is doing it or the church or Christianity or Christ himself. They're not even afraid to do that. Whereas the angels themselves would be afraid to do that. That's what that's saying. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, while in the destruction of those creatures, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. So they live like animals and they will be destroyed like animals, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel, that means be happy in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they cause. Uh, carouse with you, partying with them, basically, having eyes full of adultery, that means being willing to have sex outside marriage or lust after other people, and that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. So people, souls, remember these are souls that are searching, trying to find answers, have doubts, all that kind of thing. They entice them to come over to this way of thinking, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. So they left the right way and they have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam. This is what we really need to see here. Having followed the way of Balaam, who was the son of Beor. He was a prophet in the Old Testament that was paid to curse Israel. Who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke from his, for his own transgression. He was corrected because of what he did wrong. For a dumb donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These, all people like that, is what he's talking about now, these are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Because, or for, speaking out of arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, the things that the body wants and the mind wants, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. So in other words, there are people who are just about to get out and they get wrapped up in all this Forgive me for saying it this way, but crap. 19. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. So people preaching a gospel says you have been set free when in truth they themselves are corrupt. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. And we'll just read a couple more verses to be done. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world... By the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in those things, the defilements, the things of the world that make them unclean. If they are again entangled in those things, the last state has become worse for them than the first. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them, according to the truth prover- to true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. You understand what's happening? He's talking about people who have a regenerate soul, people whose soul have been made new, then going back into activities that do not go in line with your soul. Now, if your soul is that kind of thing that I was talking about, it cannot be stopped. It is a beast wanting to serve, to love, to be kind and generous. It's been regenerated into a new being. That's your soul. And then your mind and your flesh go into all of these things that do not honor God. So you're not doing it out of your soul. You're doing it out of your mind. You're not doing it out of your soul. You're doing it out of your flesh. You're worse off than you were before. Your soul, which was questioning, doubting, wondering, trying to find its way, trying things on for size, has now found exactly what it needs in Jesus Christ. And then, in a way, trapping it away from Jesus, your mind and your flesh go after the things of the world. You are now a divided being. Previously, your soul would drive your mind, right? Your mind's asking questions. Your mouth would go, why is it like that? What, what, what is the answer to this question? Why are human beings here? What does Jesus really want from me? What does God want from me? Your, your mind would ask those questions because it was driven by your soul. Well, now your soul has found the answer in Jesus Christ and your mind and your body are still wandering off after these other things. So what do you think your soul is going to do? It's going to do two things at the same time, basically on what we just read. Number one, it's going to languish. It's going to suffer. Trapped in a cage that you've put around it. Not able to be that outward expression of love and service and giving that God wants it to be. And then secondly, it's going to slowly devour you from the inside out. Now that sounds like a horrible thing because nobody wants to be devoured from the inside out, but this is not the movie Aliens, right? This is your God-regenerate soul poking at the back of your head. Constantly going, hey, hey, hey. And you're going, i want to do what I want to do. And day after day after day, you have to fill your mind and your body with bigger, grander things to overcome that. Hey, hey, Jesus, come on. God, He loves us. I'm with Him. You're not. Come on. I'm trying to get your attention. And people become hardened and angry because their soul wants God and their mind and their flesh do not is the reverse of the process of what I described to you of progressive sanctification. So don't buy the lies. That's it. Don't let your mind be warped by a Christianity that looks like this. Well, if you believe in Jesus and you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, if you accept Him and just say, okay, God washed away my sins then everything will be fine you can do whatever you want. That's a flat out lie. That is not what Scripture teaches. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you accept Him. He will regenerate your soul which now will have the purpose to bring him glory and honor and praise on the earth. You have become a new creature. Jesus called it being born again. And that soul must, absolutely must, will not be stopped from living for God by any means. Not your mind or your body. Which is closest to it and may have the best chance. But it just won't happen. And you'll be a divided creature, always struggling, always wondering, why do I feel this nagging sense of difficulty? If I'm saved, and I believe I am, then why do I always go after all of these other things that do not honor God? Why is my work not for God? Because it's not out of your soul. Because it's out of your head. And I get it. There are some very convincing teachers. The Bible calls them false prophets. That's a pretty good title when you think about it. If you dropped off the false, they'd be like the best guy to listen to. It's a pretty good title. It doesn't say false friends false doctors, false nurses, false any profession, false prophets, people who speak on behalf of God, but the message they are delivering is one that plays to your sensuality, plays, plays, to your, plays to your desires. And so now we have the church embracing certain things that the Bible expressly says are not allowed, and the church is inviting those folks who say that they believe that that is allowed into the church forthwith, and it becomes a church of people like that. My, my brother's church, and I think it's my brother, he's a great, great man, um, but he's confused a little bit in his Christianity. If he listen to this podcast, Tom, I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't mean to call you out, but he knows how I feel, so this is nothing that's private, okay? We've had the conversation. There's a church in Columbus, and they were down to five people attending. Five people. They had a bunch of money in the bank, but they only had five people. And they called a new pastor. And the new pastor led the church to become an open and affirming church to embrace all forms of homosexuality and transgender and all people. And, and all people are created equal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should look. Please do not hear me saying look down on anybody or judge anybody for their choices. Okay. But overnight, the church filled up. It went from five people to 300 people in less than a year. They, were, they had no problem finding people who had that belief that that was Okay. Okay? Now what I'm saying is, whatever those people believed, they gathered to someone who believed the same way. There is a pastor in the world, there is a preacher and teacher in the world who will teach the Bible the way you want to hear it. You follow? You can find them. If that's what you want, go find them. I'm okay with it but there is a pastor that is called of God to teach and preach the Bible the way it is written, the way it was given to us by the Holy Spirit. And that's what you actually need. Your flesh and your mind want somebody to preach the gospel the way you want to hear it. Your soul desperately yearns for somebody to preach the gospel the way the gospel actually is. And you will know it when your soul says, yes, and your mind will say, oh, he's, t- he's touching my favorite topic now and I feel differently than what he's saying. Your mind will say, I don't think I want to do what he's telling me I should be doing. And your soul will say, yes, please, I'm dying down here. For a day in which we will be fully devoted to the God who regenerated me. A day in which we will be fully devoted to the God who loves me in a way that I have never known love. And it may not be church the way you think church should be. It may not be church the way you feel church should be. But your soul can't have it any other way. And there are plenty of false prophets. And hear me on this, and this is a little side note. I want to say to you that the vast majority of them do not even know that they are false prophets. Now, there, there are all of these things that are mentioned here. If you examine, If you could put them under a microscope, don't, but if you could, if you should, if you would, you would find everything that's in that text. But don't do that. Because you need to be busy working out of your soul. And when your mind needs that kind of confirmation, you have already lost it. You've already lost the battle. Back in Colossians 3, first we saw that we're supposed to do these things out of our soul. Secondly, we saw that it was... I don't know, foreordained, you could say, but God told us for certain that there would be a competition for our allegiance. That's the second thing. And then that our soul will not, if our soul is regenerating in the Lord, our soul is not wrapped up in that competition. It has already decided its side. It is already 100% with the Lord, if it is. And otherwise it is still nagging, questioning, determining, trying to find its way, tasting everything to figure out what's true. The third thing in there, it says because he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which which he has done and that without impartiality. Turn with me to one last text for the day, and that's going to be Romans chapter 2. Now Paul wrote this book to the church in Rome. When he wrote it, he had never been there to minister to them, and so he may have been instrumental in its starting, but he wasn't there to start it. Okay, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 2. We don't have a long way to go here. Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 5. He says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, and by the way, that word there is suko or however you say it exactly in the Greek, and it's your soul. Because of the stubbornness and unrepented nature, right? The internal, internal of you being unrepentant. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation and the righteous judgment of God. And that's talking to those who are in that situation. Then he says, God will render to every man according to his deeds, to those who by per- perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. So God's going to give to those who seek for his glory and honor and, and all of that. He's going to give good, right? Right? He says, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteous, unrighteousness, he's going to give wrath and indignation. And by the way, that word indignation is this. So God says, toward you. When God says that, your whole life goes, Poof. Okay? So when God is disgusted with you, it gets ugly. But he says, for those who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he's going wrath, that's God's violent opposition and indignation. There will be tribulation, that's troubles, and distress, that's difficulty, wait for it, for every soul of man, hear it, we always, we quote this first, we leave the word soul of man out, we just say for everyone, that's what a lot of people say, but it's for every soul of man. who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because, for there is no partiality with God. For, because all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For not hearers of the law are just before God, but doers of the law will be justified. For because when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, in other words, when you do what is right, when you just figure it out and do what is right, though you do not have the law, you become a law to themselves. It says it like this, the things of the law, these, not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, there it is again, their conscience bearing Witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or else defending them. So your soul is going the wrong direction. And you go back and forth. I think I'm okay. No, I'm not okay. No, I really need something. I'm missing something. I'm And you go back and forth and it's doubt and question. Your conscience one day says, yeah, you're good. Another day says, ugh. And their thoughts alternatively accusing or defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. And, he sa- and that was the finish of that very long sentence which said God will judge every man with impartiality. On that day. And so the third thing you get to see in the text is that God knows your soul. And this is the great blessing. If your soul truly has been regenerated, then God has stacked you the line to receive the inheritance with Jesus. Now, I know you're suffering if your mind and your flesh are still going the wrong way, but if your soul has truly been regenerated, then he's already put you on that side of the line. That's no excuse to keep doing what you're doing because you know you're chewing yourself up. You know you're going to get what you deserve. You know your soul is struggling against your mind all the time. You know your soul and your flesh are divided against one another which is never the way it was meant to be. You know that's true, so there's no excuse to continue it. And there's still a consequence for what you do in this lifetime. There's still a consequence for everything you do that does not honor God. That goes back to the original text in Colossians. But the reality is that God has already divided you, if you are regenerate, if you are saved, into that column. And by the way, then you should follow what Colossians 3 says and do everything that you do out of your soul, changing everything, as we initially talked about. You should not listen to those false teachers that try to get in your head or affect your body, not think that what you do in your flesh or what you choose to do in your mind is okay. You need to come out of your soul, which is the only part of you that is for sure regenerated in Christ. If you have indeed accepted Christ, you've been born again. Come out of your soul, not your flesh or your brain. God's sorting, and it doesn't matter if you're wealthy, it doesn't matter if you're pretty. It doesn't matter if you're smart. This, in fact, I want to say to you that the smarter you think you are, the harder it is to you, for you to let your soul lead you and guide you. Because I know what I'm supposed to do. I got it all figured out in this area. I may not know everything in every other area. If you've got one area you think you got it all figured out, it's highly probable you're not letting your soul guide you. Because your soul just wants what God wants. Just recently, we had a, I'll use this as my closing illustration, and I'll come back and recap for a second. Just recently, we had a decision that had to be made by somebody very close to us. And my soul said, this is what you should tell them. And so I did. I said, make that decision the way God would want you to make that decision. I know how I think God would want you to make that decision. But you make that decision the way you think God would want you to make that decision. And I didn't have this sermon in my repertoire yet, so I couldn't say, out of your soul. Right? I hadn't figured that out. So now I could say that, but I didn't say it then. I just said, you make it the way God would want you to make it. I prayed about it, and they made the decision. Ultimately, they made the decision differently than what I thought they should do. Now, my flesh and my mind wanted to say, hey, get on the phone and say, what are you doing? You know that's not right. But my soul was saying, now... If they're doing what God wants them to do, then that's right. But I'm like, but I don't think it is. And my soul said, who are you to tell me that? And I said, okay, well, um, now I have a problem. So you know what I said? I said what my soul wanted me to say. Well, if that's what God wants you to do, then you do it. And ultimately, it turned out to be the right thing. They had made the right choice. So my soul cautioned me against doing the very one thing, that, the worst and only thing I could have done, which was forcing them to make the decision differently than what I thought they, what I thought they were probably going to do. And if they had made the decision different than what I thought they were probably going to do, they would have been wrong. And my soul said, no, don't do that. Because my soul has a direct line to God because I am a... Born again, regenerate Christian. My mind perceives the word. My soul has fellowship with the word. My body wants what it wants. You know what I'm saying? A few too many bites of this or that. Taste or touch when you should not. Not that I'm saying that I'm setting down rules or laws about my salvation. But my body wants... At 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm about to brush my teeth, my body's saying, hey, one more cupcake would be okay right now. Nobody needs a cupcake at 1 o'clock in the morning. Nobody. You know, unless you're on third shift. Yeah, you don't, actually. The point is, my body says, but I need to listen to what my soul says. Paul wrote to the Galatians, if you embrace the things of the flesh... The things of the Spirit of God die off. And if you embrace the things of the Spirit, the things of the flesh die off. You have a soul. Your soul yearns to be with God, in fellowship with God now, today, in this moment, in this second. Not when you die, now. Of course, when you die, but now. Be born again in Christ. And let your soul be fully regenerated if you never have. Let it happen. And then, if you have, listen to the text of Colossians 3, which says Whatever you do, do your work out of your soul, as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without impartiality. If you came in here today not knowing in your soul that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and hear that very same simple gospel that the Colossians heard. You have sin, you need to be forgiven by Christ. He paid the price so that it can be so. Simply accept the forgiveness and let him regenerate your soul. Let him be leader of your life from now on. And then let that translate into your actions lining up with what your soul desires, which is the things that God desires. And you'll no longer have to force yourself to tell somebody about Jesus. And you'll no longer have to force yourself to serve somebody. And you'll no longer have to force yourself to give. You'll no longer have to force yourself to love because that is what your soul was created for. And the more control of your body and your mind that your soul gets, the more like God you will be. Mm. Do it out of your soul. Someone's here today and said, I don't I don't even know what that means. Even though we talked about it, we talked about all this, I, I don't know what it means. You got to start with this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sins. And every one of those sins is a black mark on your soul. And He'll wash them all away if you just take Him as Lord and Savior today. <laughs> And if you've taken Him as Lord and Savior, in earnest, taken Him as Lord and Savior, then your soul has been regenerated. You've got to stop fighting back against that regenerated soul. And out of your soul, do your work as if you belong to Him to whom you belong. Let's pray together briefly, and then we'll have the praise team come and lead us in a song. You'll have your opportunity to make a decision, and our services are coming to a close. Father in heaven, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for my soul. I like trees. I like sunshine. I like waterfalls. I like smiles. And I like thugs. But today, in this moment right here, and I pray forever going forward, I thank you for my soul. You created the earth. You created the clay, the, the dirt on the ground. And then out of that, you shaped a man who would be called Adam. And you breathed. Into the man, a living soul. Some part of that was handed down over thousands of years into me. And I am grateful that I have a soul. And I have not cherished my soul. I have not loved my soul. I have not nurtured my soul the way I should have. And I come to you today saying, you do what you want to do in me. You take over and guide and nurture and train. And help my soul burst the bonds of this mortal form. That I may put on some form of immortality today in my mortal body. And I pray for anyone who is here today. Who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That they would not be afraid of the words. That they would simply say it's real. I get it. I haven't. And I do. And especially anyone who might be here today, Lord, who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, they do believe, whether it was weeks ago or months ago or years ago or decades ago or seems like a lifetime ago, Lord, they know they've been starving their soul for their righteous love of God. They've been starving their soul and trapping it in that cage inside them, whatever that actually looks like. That's just a picture. Whatever it actually looks like in their life and their hands their sense of touch, their sense of taste, their mind, their brain has guided their existence instead of turning their life over to their soul. Lord, I pray that they would do that even right now while I'm praying. And I commit myself, Lord. I myself say, let my soul be my leader. Let it regenerate my mind. That I might not be conformed to the ways of this world, that I will push me, they will prod me, they will teach me, and I will disbar and push away every false teaching that does not jive with what you are doing in my soul. God help us. God help us be strong. Stronger than we are. Stronger than we ever could be without you at work in our soul. I think now about how a little baby has such strength in their limbs. Hold on with dear life, and their whole body will be moved before their hand opens up to let go. What happened to us? Which of our experiences, which of the things that we've been through, took away from us that unreserved strength, that might that you (coughs) placed in us? Whatever it was, it was evil, it was sin, it was wrong. May we be mighty again. May we be strong again. May we learn to hold on to what is right, even if it should mean our destruction. May we learn to hold on to what is right in the face of the greatest opposition. That it is as difficult as it ever might be. That our souls may blossom. And that even the surface of our skin might not contain a regenerated soul that lives in us, but that we might share its effects with all of those around us. God help us. And for the one that is here today, who is right now, who just as I've been praying, accept Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, I pray that you would give them the courage to come forward and share with us as we have our invitation song, our closing song, or that you would give them the courage to come forward and say, I am living for Jesus. I know it's what their soul longs for for the one who was saying that they, they have already accepted Jesus Christ but they renewed their commitment to you today to let their soul be their guide in touch with you as it's been regenerated and I pray Lord that they would let it be known either by coming forward or right where they are and saying that's my soul and it's been set free regenerated in the name of Jesus and I will not lock it up I will live nourish my soul. God help us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand where you are and sing this last song with us and if the Lord has touched your heart today in some way and you need to come and make that known to us, you do exactly that. Okay. If you've accepted Jesus Christ while you're here today in earnest and you just come right down here and let us know uh, what you've done. Be bold. Let your soul out. And if on the other hand you come as a Christian but you're recommitting your life to the Lord and say, I realize I've been starving my soul. Be bold and let your soul out come and share with us, proudly proclaiming what has happened in to you today. As we say.
1: Close to you
0: Got a word I want to share. So right where you are, without having to walk forward, is there something on your heart today? The Lord said this to me, and my soul is just yearning to speak. And if that's you. You come on right now. Just say it. Right where you are. Just say, I got to say something. This is your opportunity. I need help with my faithfulness. Your soul is faithful. He gets out of bed every day. He runs your body while you're sleeping. He's faithful. 24 hours. We can learn from Him. Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit in us regenerate our soul. Praise, Praise the Lord. Lord. Faithfulness. Anyone else? All right. so let's close in prayer at this time and then we'll go out. And I, I just encourage you to pay attention this week. You know, we talk about the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We talk about what we learned from the Bible and that's our guide, our direction, figuring things out. This week, your soul wants to loom large in your life. And that's what we were talking about, praying about up here with Nikki and with Tony. We have a desire. It's deep. Mm-hmm. But it really ought not to be deep. It's big. It's bigger. Remember, your soul is eternal, just like God. Your soul is mighty and powerful, just like God. Probably your soul is the only part of you that's still really in the image of God if you've been regenerated, Because our minds are still work in progress. We live more each day, we hope. Right? Alright, let's move on. God in heaven, I thank you. I pray. I pray for Tony, for Nikki, and myself. I pray for the other people that are here today who this message touched something inside them and set them on fire and they want to live big, live large, live mighty, live successful for you. Do what it is that you've called their regenerated soul to do. And maybe that they don't know exactly what that is. But as they submit to you at work in them, you will leave them to it. You will equip them for it. You will unleash them into it. I pray that they will not listen to any false teachings that says, no, I don't have to do, or I don't have to respond. i rather be lazy. I'd rather be busy managing my money or making more ready to be busy engaging with things of the world that I enjoy There's nothing wrong with this earth that a regenerated soul can't fix I pray for the one who might be here today is not questioning or asking themselves is my soul been i regenerated I just pray that right now in this moment and every moment going forward they would turn themselves over to you to your love beyond any ailment we may have, any sin that we've been wrapped up in, who love us beyond it all. There is no sin in this world that can disqualify us from being forgiven by Jesus, except being unwilling to be forgiven by Jesus. There is nothing in this world, and there are a lot of things on the list, but there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of Jesus once we've been saved. Help us, Father. We go out to be an incredible force in the world, transforming whatever we encounter. Then every time we walk in a room, people go, "Oh, that's odd. And so be it. Because we want to live not with our underwear on the outside of our clothes, but with our soul on the outside of our bodies, not as superheroes, but as transformed creations of our God. <coughs> that you can do. You've done it before. You're doing it today. Let us live like that I think it's possible according to what I read in Ephesians 2 and other places for some folks until that begins to happen still dead and separated from you by sin But you have quickened us those who have heard your call you have brought us to life and given us work to do that will honor you that will be for you by you and in you out of our soul. Thank you for that great gift and that we may see it a little with our eyes and have our minds changed our bodies submitted to your will going forth from now and always knowing that we have the inheritance that Christ earned for us yet coming Never forgetting Lord help us in Jesus precious name. Amen. Thank you very much. This concludes our services today. Thank you all for being here. Go ye now therefore and be the church.